Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of September 19, 2021. The following events will be held on the KCB Zoom line and are open to all who wish to attend. Join from your computer, cell phone, or landline by calling 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889-6972 or join through the Zoom link found in the event announcement on our email list. The KCB Next Generation Chapter will hold its September Support Group meeting on Thursday, September 23 at 8 p.m. Call Ben Wright, Next Generation President, at 734-968-8211 for more information. On September 24, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting. We will have a speaker updating us on requirements and details related to the new real IDs that will soon be required in Kentucky. The time for the roundabout and the quarterly meeting is 7.30 to 9.30 p.m., and, of course, everyone is welcome. The Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana invites everyone to its September meeting on Monday the 27th at 7 p.m. You are invited to share stories about your guide dog. This will be a great evening for sharing. For more information about Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana, contact Deb Lewis, President, at 502-721-9129. And finally, for those of you who like to keep up with the latest happenings at the ACB Mini Mall, we are pleased to tell you that both the blue and black fanny packs are back in stock and the new round and square bubble pop fidgets have arrived. For more information about the Mini Mall or to place an order, call us at 877-630-7190. For a complete calendar of events sponsored by the Kentucky Council of the Blind and its chapters, visit our website at www.kentucky-acb.org and follow the events link. Meetings and socials, whether in person or virtual, are informative and entertaining, but advocacy is also important. On page 2 are three items that fall into the advocacy category. First is an article from the September Kentucky Council of the Blind newsletter announcing a new cooperative agreement between KCB and the Kentucky Community and Technical College System, KCTCS, that is designed to help KCTCS improve the accessibility of its curricula for blind students. Next comes an article about a court ruling in New York that may result in a decrease in accessibility of websites and apps. And then there is a short article concerning the accessibility of apartments. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout this past Friday, September 17, was announced on the ACB community list for the first time, and we welcomed several new callers. This was the week for page-turners, and many of the 33 participants shared the books they had read. Thanks to Adam Rushevel for editing this fun-filled evening for page 3 on Soundprints. 
Exhibits are always a popular part of any ACB convention, whether it be virtual or in person. Last week we shared with you the exhibit from the National Library Service at the ACB 2021 virtual convention. This week on page four, we're bringing you one more exhibit, this time from the American Printing House for the Blind, and we hope this will encourage you to visit the exhibit podcast to hear more from the many technology companies, guide dog schools, and small businesses and others that participated in the ACB convention. Visit www.acbmedia.org slash podcasts and follow the exhibits link. You will be able to select the companies from which you want to hear. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions for sound prints. Let us know what you enjoy, what you would like to hear in the future, and even what you would really like us not to include. We'll welcome your feedback. Call us at 502-895-4598. Page 2. KCB News, September 2021. Published by the Kentucky Council of the Blind, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Telephone 502-895-4598. Email kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Facebook, KCB Online. Website, www.kentucky-acb.org. President, Matthew Selm. Editors Rick Bogus and Carla Rushevel. KCTC as to improve accessibility for blind students. The Kentucky Council of the Blind, KCB, is pleased to announce that we have entered into a cooperative agreement with the Kentucky Community and Technical College System, KCTCS, to help KCTCS further its efforts to improve the accessibility of its curricula for blind students at KCTCS schools across the state. Pursuant to the agreement, KCTCS has created a new full-time system-wide instructional accessibility coordinator, IAC, position, which will serve under the chancellor as part of KCTCS's online learning department. The IAC will coordinate with KCTCS College and System Student Disability Services, SDS, and focus its efforts primarily on classroom learning, distance learning, and instructional design. KCTCS will also take additional steps to improve the educational experience of blind and visually impaired students and prevent discrimination against these students, including assessing the accessibility of each department's curricula, developing a plan to help ensure that accessible instructional materials, including textbooks, course materials, and tactile graphics, are provided to students who are blind or visually impaired at the same time that these materials are made available to other students. Making KCTCS's websites accessible to users who are blind or visually impaired. Requiring cooperation among faculty, staff, and SDS to handle blind and visually impaired students' accommodation requests. Reviewing and revising KCTCS's policies and procedures for accommodating blind and visually impaired students and for processing and resolving related grievances 
and providing training of personnel on the Americans with Disabilities Act and on KCTCS's policies for accommodating students with disabilities. Matthew Selm, president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, said, quote, We commend KCTCS for its willingness to engage in a comprehensive program to ensure that all of its students, including those who are blind or visually impaired, receive a truly equal education. Ensuring that KCTCS's technology and content is accessible empowers students with vision loss to succeed in higher education, preparing them for productive careers after graduation. The Kentucky Council of the Blind looks forward to working with KCTCS. End of quote. Debbie Dethridge, KCB's immediate past president, said, quote, it is exciting to know that students who have vision loss and or other disabilities will be able to access all materials alongside their peers. This will open many doors to future learning and career opportunities for all. End of quote. New York federal judge issues landmark ruling signaling potential change in tide of ADA website litigation. This appeared on ACB Conversation and ACB Leadership on Friday, September 17, and was posted by Lori Scharf, who has been active for many years in advocacy for people who are deaf and hard of hearing, as well as people who are blind or visually impaired. Unlike some courts in other jurisdictions, New York federal courts have been hospitable to claims by disabled plaintiffs that websites do not comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, due to lack of accessibility based on, among other things, incompatibility with software used by visually impaired individuals and lack of closed captioning on videos that contain audio content as is needed by deaf or hard of hearing individuals. As a result, disabled plaintiffs file hundreds of such actions in the Southern District of New York and Eastern District of New York every year, including against companies with scant connection to New York. A notable new decision from Judge Eric Comite, K-O-M-I-T-E-E, in the Eastern District of New York in Winnegard, W-I-N-E-G-A-R-D, versus Newsday, LLC, 19CV-04420, issued on August 16, 2021, took a much different tack. If this decision is affirmed on appeal or followed by other jurists, the New York federal courts will no longer be a hotbed of these cases. In Winnegard, Judge Comity addressed whether a website constitutes a place of public accommodation, which would be required under ADA Title III to be accessible to disabled persons. Based on the statutory text and context, the history of the term place of public accommodation and a germane appellate decision, he ruled that the ADA excludes, by its plain language, the websites of businesses with no public-facing physical retail operations from the definition of public accommodations. He therefore dismissed the plaintiff's claims that Newsday's website denied deaf and hard-of-hearing individuals 
equal participation in watching videos, and that Newsday failed to make reasonable modifications to the videos to afford access. In concluding that a website is not a place of public accommodation, the court noted that of the 50 examples of places of public accommodation set forth in 42 U.S.C. S. 49 indisputably related to physical places. Judge Comity reasoned that Congress could have referred more broadly to all businesses operated in interstate commerce or to all retail or service operations, but it instead focused on physical places. He was not swayed by the argument that when the ADA was adopted in 1990, the World Wide Web could not have been anticipated, pointed out that even at that time, there were countless other types of businesses operating outside of brick-and-mortar premises, such as the Sears Roebuck Catalog. The decision also relied on the use of the word place, which was held to clearly refer to a physical location. Judge Comity termed the requirement of a physical place of operation as a condition precedent to ADA liability. Additionally, the court rejected the plaintiff's argument that a 1999 precedent from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, the appellate court that includes New York, supported a broad interpretation of place of public accommodation. In Pelosi, P-A-L-O-Z-Z-I, versus Allstate Life Insurance Company, 1998 F3D 28, 2nd Circuit, 1999, the Second Circuit ruled that an insurer that operated a physical insurance office violated the ADA by refusing to issue a policy based on the plaintiff's mental health diagnosis. Judge Comity reasoned that the ruling did not turn on whether a place of public accommodation was involved, but it correctly determined that the ADA applied because the defendant had a physical office that was open to the public. Finally, the decision notes that public policy considerations favoring accessibility could not carry the day in light of the statutory limitation under which accommodation is required only as to actual places of public accommodation. It is, of course, far too soon to issue a death certificate for ADA website litigation in New York or elsewhere. This decision may well be reversed on appeal. Other judges who have already reached contrary conclusions may well adhere to their prior reasoning and judges who have not addressed the issue may come to a different conclusion, and the decision would not apply to a business that has a website and a store, office, or restaurant that is a physical place of public accommodation. But there is no doubt that, for now, many defendants named in these cases have another arrow in their quiver with which to defend these cases. This news item was also posted by Lori Scharf and appeared on ACB Leadership on Friday, September 17. 
It is entitled, Justice Department Resolves Lawsuit Alleging Disability-Based Discrimination by Developer and Owners of Eight Senior Living Complexes in Five States. The Justice Department announced that the developer and owners of eight senior living complexes in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee have agreed to pay $450,000 to settle claims that they violated the Fair Housing Act, FHA, and the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, by failing to build these properties with required accessible features for people with disabilities. As part of the settlement, the defendants agreed to make substantial retrofits to remove accessibility barriers at the complexes, including more than 1,500 units. Page 3. We are. I want to remind everyone that tonight, for the first time, we listed Roundabout in the ACB community, and so we have a few rules that we have to follow that we don't usually follow. So it's, it's important that we do our best to break our bad habits. Not so bad, but um, they just have a few different rules, and we need to be aware of those. We'll do our best here. Bill, you can go ahead and unmute. I would like to talk about the new J.D. Uh, Roberts. Uh, it's number 54. Um, it was a real good book. It's uh, I would call it a uh, love story, a police mystery, and uh, it's it's a good book. I think it's one of one of her better ones. And this is the fifty uh, fourth one uh, in the uh, in the series. And um, I got it on uh, Bookshare. Uh, it has not came out on uh, uh, BART yet. And uh, that's what I have. Um, Sue Ellen. Okay. I've actually also read the book Bill has read, um, and it is also available in commercial audio. But the book I wanted to tell people about is the book I'm reading right now, which is called Island Girls, and it is by Nancy Thayer. Um, she writes a lot of books set in New England, Boston, Nantucket, that kind of area. And, um, and her books are just absolutely hilarious. Um, in this one, three half-sisters have been... Basically, these three stepsisters have not been able to get along for years uh, very well. Um, and then their father dies, and the terms of his will state that if they want the house to be able to sell the house for a profit and, you know, sell the house and split the proceeds, they have to spend a summer there together and get along. So it's basically about their spending time together and learning to be sisters, to be true sisters. It's, it's like I said, it's really hilarious. I'm probably a quarter of the way done with the book. I've got a little ways to go. 
but it is really, really good. And it's read by Cassandra Campbell, who is absolutely awesome. I got this in commercial audio. Someone uh, got it for me as a gift. But I bet you it is on Bookshare, and I know a lot of this author's work is up on Bard. So I would definitely, if you, if you like chiclet type stuff, or and you like family stories, I think you'll enjoy this book. And that's what I got. Mary, I wanted to tell you about a book that I've been reading, and I believe the author's name is Diane Ackerman. But the name of the book is The Zookeeper's Wife, and it's a uh, true story, and it's set in during World War II, and it is this couple and their little son who own a zoo in Poland in, I believe it's Warsaw, Poland, and um, they hide... Uh, Jewish people, they actually saved 300 Jewish lives because there was like an underground um, setup that they actually uh, had these people living under the cages of the zoo animals. And um, it's just a fascinating book because, first of all, it's a true story. um, And also all of this information about these zoo animals, the, the life loved zoo animals and so it's it's rather informative about nature and and those things um and i think it's a really uh great book so that and, and i got it on bard uh terry i just want to follow up on the book the zookeeper's wife that mary was just talking about i read it several years ago and it really has stood out for me it was I I found it not only interesting in terms of the zoo animals and how these folks were really able to save so many lives, but also in terms of how they handled the Germans um, in the sense that um, some of the German officers liked animals and they were able to kind of remove suspicion from themselves by allying with the, with some of the German officers' love of animals and appearing to be, you know, not anti-German and and not like they were in the resistance. Um, and it was just, it it is a, to me, a profoundly moving book. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, Mary. Mary. The recommendation I have is a series. Um, it's a Christian fiction series. It's a rather old one, but it's so good that every few years I read it over again. It's a Jeanette Oak series called Love Comes Softly, and that is the title of the first book in the series, Love Comes Softly, and the DB number for that particular book is 22376. Um, it starts out with um, a widow, a widow, and a widower, and they're both hurting a lot. And the widower actually has a small daughter. Um, I think she's one year one year old when the book begins. And um, they end up together. And the whole series of eight books is about 
them and um, the children they have and raise. And um, it, it's just really good. And um, there are eight books in that series, all read by Laura Generelli. And she does a fantastic job. And then it's also followed um, by the Prairie Legacy series, which is four more books, also read by Laura, that continues the story and takes the couple who started out in the first book as very young, um, all the way up through very old age and it is just fantastic. I I love this series. I read a uh, Kate Burkholder uh, book this week. Um, it was uh, Fallen by Linda Castillo. The DV number is DB one zero zero uh, four. It's one zero four zero eight two one zero four zero eight two. Uh, it's about 10 hours long, and it's read by Kathleen McInery. Uh, the young, there was a young Amish woman who left the Amish uh, religion, and she is found dead in a motel room Ooh. near where she grew up. As Kate Burkholder uh, digs into Rachel's uh, past, someone doesn't want her uh, secrets revealed, and uh, it takes some interesting turns. I think uh, yeah, a couple of times I thought I had it all figured out, and then things, of course, things changed. But it has a, it, it, it's really uh, active read. You know, it's, it, it keeps you thinking. <laughs> it's very, it moves along. There's a great interview at the end between the author and the narrator. It's, it's really good. They they talked. They asked each other how they did different things. Like, you know, how much time do you spend preparing to read a book? And basically, she, the the uh, reader said that at least in, um, if the book's going to be ten hours long, it takes about twenty to twenty four hours to read it because she has to spend some time um, investing, you know, uh, uh, learning about the, the people in the book and learning some ways, you know, some some of the words and just preparing for uh, to read it so that it really moves along. I have one other book, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, H-A-I-G, DB one zero zero nine zero six, and Nora is the girl in the story, and she wakes up after a suicide attempt, Ooh. and in a library mm-hmm. where it is midnight, and the books are the, are the lives she could choose to live along with a book of regrets and uh, she gets to she gets to experience some of these lives it's quite interesting the she really liked her li- uh, librarian that, of her school when she was a kid and she sometimes played checkers with her well that's the librarian in the midnight <laughs> library so it, that's kind of neat 
and that tell, they tell you that on the first page, so I'm not letting out any great secrets. <laughs> um, and it's a uh, it's it's pretty neat, and it does it does end in a good way. So I think people would enjoy it. It was it wasn't too long a read either. It was it was surprising. And Donna, do you have any since you're unmuted too? One is um, a Karen Kingsbury. Oh, like it. Book. It, oh yeah. It's the um, um, what's the name of the series. Um, oh, Redemption series. And I read, and Redemption is the title of the first book, and um, it's um. I, um, it's about a a really good Christian family, but it's not all sweetness and light. They definitely have, um, their troubles, and the first book is about, uh, Carrie Baxter. Uh, there's, it's the Baxter family, and they all go home, I mean, Carrie goes home to her parents when, um, She's having some of her problems, and it it uh, it gives you a sneak peek of at some of the the other um, family members too, as well as some of of um, Carrie's problems. And one thing that was really refreshing about this book was that it did uh, talk about the Lord you know, and and praying and this kind of thing. There are so many um, books out here that are really good, but God is not mentioned. You know, and there are a lot of people who have a lot of problems, but they they solve them without God. And these books are very refreshing because you do hear about prayer and God. Carla had her hand up. I've read a book on, well, actually, I read it in Braille on my Braille note. Um, I got the book off of off of Bookshare, but I could have just as easily have listened to it on my iPhone or connected my iPhone up to my Echo and listened to it that way. But I decided that um, I'd read some couple of books that I read a long time ago. I especially often like the Newbery Award books. The Newbery Award is a, it's a children's author, but uh, a children's award. But oftentimes those books are, say, middle school to high school books. And there's some that are, um, I mean, there, there's some that are just really, um, really good. I like them because they're filled with a lot of action. And um, I had read, actually, when I was in about the fifth grade or sixth grade, uh, a book by Elizabeth George I think her last name is pronounced Speary. She's who wrote Witch of Blackbird Pond, Witch of, Witch of Blackbird Pond, and another book by her, The Bronze Bow, won Newbery Awards. The book that I read and had read um, years ago is called Calico Captive, and it did not win an award, but um, it's really good. It takes place around the time of the French and Indian War, and um, it primarily is 
uh, about the, the main people in the book are a family and the, uh, and, and the, I guess it would be like the, what is New Hampshire in the New Hampshire area today. Um, but they were in the English part of North America of the colonies and, uh, they are captured by the Indians and, and taken away to, um, they actually wind up in Montreal, and most of the action in the book takes place in Montreal. And uh, you know, it's that they are, um, they the Indians, you know, they capture the people in order to, um, in order to sell them to um, as kind of servants to um, to people to the French, um, but the family. It's very interesting. Many different things happen to the different people in the family. And there are um, children and captive, calico captive. Captive is a baby that is born in the woods while they're on the march, the, you know, long march to Montreal. And, uh, but the mother winds up having to stay, um, in the, in an in Indian village. The boy, uh, the the boy uh, he's around nine I guess and he just takes the Indian life he just becomes becomes a little Indian and he um, so you know that's where he winds up staying um, the little girls there's a four year old and a six year old and Aww. one and one is sort of adopted by a French family and you know that she stays there eventually. After the, after the story is over, because she liked all the, the frills and all the, uh, fancy little things, you know, that the French children, um, the little rich French kids had. Um, then another, ch- the six year old, she couldn't, just couldn't, she was a real mama's girl and, um, she winds up going back with them, but she, <clears throat> you know, she, she has, um, she doesn't like not having some of the things that the French had and that she couldn't have in the Puritan group. So it, it, it's a really interesting story. But the main character is the sister of the mother of the children. And she's about 10 years younger than the, than the kid's mother. And um, she, you know, there's, there's a, <clears throat> she's got to figure out which guy she likes best and, where she's going to wind up if she's going to stay with the French or go back with the English. Um, and, but the, it, there's just a lot of insights into what their life was like. And I found it very interesting, even though it was a book that was, I would imagine it's probably a, at that time was a sixth, uh, seventh grade book. Um, it's a quick read, not an especially short book, but an easy read, of course. And um, I think, and, and Susan, I think you would love it. It's it's your kind of book. Adam. When I cannot find a modern book uh, that I like, I, the modern fiction, uh, it's very hard for me to find something I like, so I revert back to uh, nonfiction history things, since that's kind of my background. And um, I want to talk about three books real quickly. The first is um, uh, that all may read 
which was published by the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped back in 1983 on the occasion of their 50th anniversary. And it's a history of the talking book and Braille programs um, up till then. And uh, it, it's really a good summary of all the different kind of programs they have and so on. Um, the most interesting one is that you talk about the development of the combination record player cassette player machine that they had a prototype for in 1974, and it didn't actually get out until about 1995, at which point it was already outdated by then. Of course, there are a lot of good things in there. Uh, the second book, you know, Russia is the largest country in the world, land area, and the second largest is Canada. And I have to say that I know very little about the history of Canada or, you know, how it's arranged and so on. So I decided to get a um, history of Canada. And the one I got is uh, part of a three-volume history. So I got volume one, and it, uh, it's called a Rise to Greatness, A History of Canada. And it's uh, DB90986. And uh, it's by Conrad Black and has 370 pages. And it covers the history of Canada from 1000 AD up to uh, 1867 when Canada really um, became its own uh, province or independence, sort of. And uh, it talks about at the beginning how in 984 A.D. the the Norse or Vikings uh, found their way to Iceland. And then, of course, uh, a little while later, Eric the, uh, Leif Erikson, another Norse uh, person, managed to get all the way to Greenland. But other... Vikings and Norse uh, sailors also made it to Newfoundland and to Canada and so on. But uh, really the French were the first to uh, come in and go into the Hudson's Bay area in Canada. Uh, they tried to settle the area and up in Quebec and so on, but they had an awful lot of problems doing it. Uh, they got along with the Indians in, in Canada better than the British did, but by the time of the middle 1700s, uh, you had the British who wanted to have settlements in New England and up into Canada. You had the um, colonists in, in what is now the U.S. also wanted to get up there, and you had the French who were up there, and so they were all three trying to bargain with the Indians, and the Indians didn't care who did it. You know, they, uh, you know, just tried to get along with whoever they could. So uh, it's it's an interesting book, and um, uh, I probably will read the other volumes of that. The third uh, book, uh, I don't have a access number four, but it, it is one that was recorded by the Kentucky Talking Book Library with their volunteers, and um, uh, it's called Randy K. 
Cactus and Uncle Ed. And what it is is a history of the beginning of television in Louisville. And if you're 60 years or older, uh, and even if you don't live in Louisville, you probably had local television programs wherever you were uh, with the same type of characters and uh, everything was live television. There was no network programs to speak of or very little. And um, Randy Hatcher uh, was a singer, and uh, he started out uh, in music and on WHS 50,000 watt radio, and then uh, for a short time went to Chicago with his brother who worked in a band up there. And by the way, that band was the first band or first group to record the song, You Are My Sunshine. <laughs> and then uh, Randy Atcher came back down, and when um, WHS came on the air in 1950, he and a fellow named Tom Brooks, um, and uh, they called him Cactus, had a cartoon show called T-Bar-V. Of course, the TV <laughs> was... Uh, television, and that started in 1950 when they first came on the air and ran for 20 years to 1970, and it's estimated they talked over 100,000 children between the ages of 5 and 9 to celebrate their birthdays on air between the cartoons, and um, they they had some real good, um, of course, children or children. And, for instance, one uh, brother and sister were on, and, you know, the, the brother says, you know, we don't watch T-Bar-V anymore. And the younger sister pipes up and says, yeah, Dad had to hawk the TV. So uh, it, there's a lot of good stories. WAVE went on the air here in Louisville in 1949, and, uh, or excuse me, 1948, was the 22nd uh Station to go on the air in the country, and they too had their uh, people and son named Ed Calais, uh, who was known as Uncle Ed on his cartoon shows, uh, was uh, of course local hero uh, for many years, and he also uh, did broadcast for the University of Louisville Cardinal football basketball games and the Louisville Colonels baseball minor league team. Uh, and the uh, uh, Kentucky Colonels ABA team, and um, he, like I say, was just a local hero. But by 1970, uh, network television and everything took over, uh, so, you know, that pretty much ended all that. But it's a real nice history, 95 pages, uh, about an hour and a half to two-hour read, and I, I think you would really enjoy it. And you can get that from the Kentucky Talking Book Library. The author for that is a fellow named David Inman, who uh, was a columnist for the Courier-Journal and a TV movie reviewer for many, many years with the Courier-Journals and a very good writer. Debbie, Carla, I wanted to also just follow up with your comment on on reading the 
I guess it's called juvenile literature, the high, the elementary school, four to sixth grade, four to seventh grade. I have a grandson that's in that age range. And for any other grandparents on the call, that is a fabulous way to connect with your grandchildren, uh, is find out what books they're reading and, uh, and get them on audio and read along with them. I'm reading uh, this series that Carson, my grandson Carson is reading is called Wings of Fire. It's definitely... Um, a boy book. It's about it's about dragons, and it's not anything I've ever read before, or anything I probably would choose to read. Except it's fascinating um, to read. Uh, the The first one is called is called Drag uh, Dragonet Prophecy, but it's really fun uh, just to read the stuff that he's reading, and then to be able to have conversations with him uh, about what's going on and. You know, of course, you know, he's he's a guy, so he's pretty competitive. So, you know, all I have to say is I think I'm catching up with you. And and, he's, and then he takes off. So um, just just a fun thing to do if you if you want a, a way to connect with your grandchildren. So thanks. Are there any more books? There are no more hands. No more yes. hands? Yes. Okay. So, Page four. My name is Michael Smithman, and I am the Exhibits Coordinator for the American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention. Good morning, and welcome to the 2021 Exhibit Hall, which shall be virtual again this year. We have exhibitors ranging from high-tech to guide dogs and everything in between. I encourage you to listen to all exhibits, which will play three times each day. We have new exhibitors this year, such as Sensi, who produces Braille books, Imagination Video Books with audio description, Good Maps, who produces building audio maps, Orbit, who makes a less expensive Braille display. We have the familiar exhibitors such as Vespero, Humanware, and Hymns. Hope you enjoy your experience at the 60th Annual ACB Conference and Convention Virtual Exhibit Hall. Welcome, American Council of the Blind 2021 attendees. I'm Paul Ferrar, Communications Accessibility Editor from APH. We welcome you to this session where we're going to be talking with Greg Stilson, Director of Global Innovation, about our Braille products. Greg, how are you doing today? Great, Paul. Thanks for having me back. Can you give everyone a uh, summary of the different solutions that we have in terms of Braille products? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have three electronic refreshable Braille displays, the Braille Trail Reader, the Mantis Q40, and the Chameleon 20. The Braille Trail Reader is a 14-cell refreshable Braille display. The Mantis Q40 is a 40-cell refreshable Braille display with an embedded QWERTY keyboard. And the Chameleon 20 is a 20-cell refreshable Braille display with some internal intelligence as well. The Mantis and Chameleon actually share the same uh, suite of internal applications, or basically the, suite, uh, the same software. Um, they both use, what's unique about them is they use the human interface device, HID standard, to connect to 
whatever external devices there you're going to be connecting to. So whether that's your computer or your iOS device, your Android device, the HID protocol is a new way of connecting a Braille display. And what's cool about that is that it uses the same functionality that any traditional keyboard would use. So the way you actually pair these devices isn't through the general or the, sorry, the settings, accessibility, voiceover, Braille, all those steps. You just you just go into your settings panel, you go to Bluetooth, and you'll connect to your Mantis and Chameleon, and it pairs right up. Um, internally, these devices have a number of applications. So it has a, uh, a note-taking function or an editor. It has a uh, book reader function where you can not only read books, but actually download books by connecting these devices to Wi-Fi. Um, so in addition to, to being able to connect to five Bluetooth devices and one USB, um, you can connect the devices to Wi-Fi to both download books and download software updates as well. It's super easy to, to update these devices. Um, it can connect to, uh, to Bookshare.org and uh, NFB Newsline as well to get your papers. In addition, uh, we have a a clock on these devices, a calculator, just a basic uh, calculator, um, and then a file manager as well so that you can move your files around. It does come with, um, or these devices come with an SD card slot and a USB host slot as well so you can plug in a a thumb drive. It charges with a traditional USB-C connection uh, and the battery should last uh, anywhere from 12 to 15 hours. Right, and Mantis and Chameleon were launched last year in 2020. Can you talk to us about how they've been received by our customers? Uh, honestly, I, I've been incredibly excited by the the testimonials that we received, the the responses, the activity on the the mailing list that we receive. Um, this these products have been incredibly received by both education uh, users along with you know your your standard uh, blind consumers who are just using them to connect to their uh, their computers using you know web to do their web browsing or or for for coders who are writing code with the the mantis qwerty keyboard um it's been it's been really awesome to to hear the different use cases um for for any of those devices quite honestly so what do you think has made Mantis and Chameleon so successful? Um, a couple things. I think from the technology perspective, really how integrated it is to the mobile device, but also the the the, the computer um, use case. So the Mantis especially because it is a, uh, a human interface device and operates as a traditional keyboard. Um, it has been really well received because you don't have to memorize kind of acrobatic commands to to replicate QWERTY keyboard functions, right? If I want to press Alt-F4, I just press Alt-F4 on, on the Mantis keyboard and boom, it works. Uh, but there's been a lot of feedback from people who have used the device's internal functionality as well on both the Mantis and Chameleon being able to download books directly from Bookshare and access them uh, right on the on the device, being able to take notes in the device's note taker or open documents has been really well received. Um, and, and our continuous updating process as well, just to show that, that we are, in fact, continuing the development on these products, right? So, um, and then I would say on, on the APH communication side, we're, we're continuously doing training webinars, um, 
COVID has really, really helped us, um, you know, hone our webinar skills, I would say. And we've been offering a lot of training webinars, introduction webinars, because we recognize that folks can't get their hands on these devices at a conference. And so trying to um, really represent these products in a way that you can understand what they can do, what they feel like, what they touch, you know, when you touch them, what they, what they feel like or look like, um, and what you can do with them in different use cases. Um, these webinars have been extremely well received. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned updates. So can you talk to us about what changes or updates we might see with these devices throughout the rest of this year? Yeah, so we have actually, I want to say, have received now or have have distributed three Mantis and Chameleon updates so far. We're at version 1.1.1. And what we've done so far are several tweaks to the user interface to make pairing with devices over Bluetooth uh, more seamless, to to make switching between devices uh, more rapid so that you can switch from one device to the next. Um, We're also, one of the big things that we're working on right now is... uh, putting text-to-speech into the chameleon so that if you are a multimodal learner, somebody who really likes to have Braille under your fingertips but also interact with audio, uh, one of our goals is to put text-to-speech on the chameleon. The chameleon actually does have an internal speaker. Currently, it doesn't have any functionality, but we're looking to change that. And so we're hoping here by the end of this year to be able to actually uh, put out an update that that includes text-to-speech uh, on the Chameleon device. Um, we're looking for opportunities or, or options to do the same to Mantis with, uh, with, with a um, Bluetooth headset or something like that. But the Chameleon does have that embedded speaker and headphone jack right on the device. So our big, big thing that we're working on right now is putting text-to-speech in there so you could listen to a book or read it or do both at the same time. Sounds good. Can you tell us some of the benefits of the Braille Trail Reader? Yeah. So the Braille Trail Reader is a really small 14-cell device. It has a, a very cool notes feature, internal notes feature, that allows you to take notes on the device, um, be able to actually sync it directly with your mobile device over Bluetooth using our, our Brilliant Sync app on the uh, and, and whatever notes you have on your your uh, Braille Trail will sync over to your mobile. Um, we also have a, a notes transfer application for Windows as well that allows you to transfer your notes from the, the Braille Trail to uh, your computer as well so that you can access those right on your, your computers uh, or, or whatever device you want to use those text files on. Um, and it you know, one of the cool things that it, I, I really like about it is it has a, a joystick in the middle that when you're paired with um, iOS devices specifically, it mimics your swipe right, swipe left, swipe up and swipe down functions by flicking that joystick right, left, up or down. So it kind of limits the, the necessity of memorizing commands uh, when you get on those those platforms as well. Like I said, it's a, a very small device and, and uh, it's under $1,000. Great. Can you talk to us about the cost of all these devices and how people can get a hold of one if they want one? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So you can go to aph.org uh, and and search for any of these products, Mantis, Chameleon, or Braille Trail Reader. Um, we also do have, uh, for for those who are interested, we for this is the first time we've actually carried um, not one but two embossers. The Pix Blaster and the Page Blaster are both on the, the quota schedule as well. Um, so if you do have access to quota funds, those are available to you as well. And uh, 
Starting with the Braille Trail Reader, that product sells for $9.95. So like I said, it's under $1,000 for a very small portable 14-cell device. Uh, the Chameleon 20 is $15.95 for a 20-cell refreshable Braille device with uh, intelligence. And the Mantis Q40 is $24.95 for a 40-cell 40, 40 refreshable Braille display with an embedded keyboard. Thanks for all that information, Greg. Don't forget, everyone, you also can get a student license of JAWS from APH as well for $90. You can check out all of these devices we've mentioned today, the embossers and the Braille displays at APH.org. Thank you for listening to the discussion of Braille devices, and we hope you have a great convention. I'm Paul Ferrara. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.